Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey nerds, welcome to episode 464 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, just Adam for the intro here real quick, and then I will get you on to this very, very special episode of the podcast. Uh, today, what you're going to listen to is the recorded social justice conversation that Jill and I had with Kimberly Jones and Geely Siegel, who are the co-authors of the New York Times best-selling book, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. Uh, if you are a long-time listener to the podcast, you will have likely heard Geely and Kim on the show a couple of times before. I've formed a bit of a friendship with them over the past year or so. Um, they also, their title was the Big Library title back in November of last year. So a lot of people got eyes on it, but it really has taken off over the past a few weeks, specifically because Kim did a amazing interview that just went viral all over the place, uh, where she talked about racial inequality and the fact that it's been going on for hundreds of years and the roots of all of it. And just, it was phenomenal. And then ended up with her um, basically being all over the place now. You can find videos of her with Trevor Noah, and you can find videos of John Oliver talking about her, and LeBron James, and Oprah, and Lizzo, and so many other people. But uh, we were really lucky because, like I said, I formed a bit of a friendship with them, and they said they would come on and they'd be happy to do this. So uh, what we did was we discussed not only their novel, uh, but just what's going on in the world right now in America with the Black Lives Matter movement. And uh, it was really, really educational in the sense that not only were we discussing what's going on, but uh, Kim and Geely were really helpful in answering our questions about how to have challenging conversations with uh, not only people that you're close to that may disagree with how you uh, feel about things, but also, you know, complete strangers and people that you wouldn't normally interact with and understanding both as uh, a black person in America and a white person in America um, you know, where to speak up and where to elevate other people's voices and just all sorts of really great stuff. Um, and then at the very end, we um, did a whole bunch of book recommendations as well because the four of us couldn't not do that. Um, don't want to scare you away from this conversation. It is a very serious and heavy topic, but as you'll hear really quickly, um, Kim and Geely can't be like overly serious for too long. We do have a lot of fun. Um, and I think this was really the best way to have this type of conversation is approaching it um, very seriously and respectfully, but also being willing to joke a little bit about things that aren't you know directly related. It was just, I think you guys will really, really enjoy it. So um, that is what you're going to hear. I want to thank all of the, the hundreds of people that registered for the webinar um, and the, all the great questions. Um, you're going to hear some of the questions that people asked uh, in the middle to the end. Um, our good friend and uh, relatively frequent visitor to the show, Sydney who also runs our training team here, was facilitating a lot of that. So just huge 
kudos all around to everybody who was involved. But yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can, of course, always go to professionalbooknerds.com. There you will find uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, our 30-day book challenge, our um, racial inequality and social justice, um, bingo cards that you can use on social media, just a whole bunch of fun stuff. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Uh, getting a lot of people emailing us lately for book recommendations. Please keep doing that. ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com or help you, to, uh, help you out with that as well. Um, I think that's just about everything. Oh, if you want to get some Libby or Professional Book, mer- professional book Nerds uh, apparel, you can go to shop.overdrive.com. All proceeds go to um, library charities. So really good stuff there. And um, if you do purchase anything, be sure to tag us or Overdrive because we love seeing it. So, okay. I think that's everything. If not, we'll have another episode on you, uh, for you on Monday that we'll talk about anything that I missed. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to let you get to this social justice conversation with Kimberly Jones and Geely Siegel on the profession. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Book Nerds Podcast. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I, I'm, I know people are going to be logging on throughout the whole thing, but um, I'm going to give you a little, like, quick minute introduction, and then we're just going to start to get into this. For people who don't know, Jill and I were the co-hosts of the Professional Book Nerds podcast. We work at Overdrive, um, the ebook and audiobook service that provides access to content through your library on your phone, using the app Libby, all that good jazz. Um, you can listen to us, but we're not the reason you're here. Uh, we are joined today by Kimberly Jones and Geely Siegel, who are the co-hosts of I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, the now three-week straight New York Times best-selling young adult novel, and it is so well-deserved. Um, you guys may, it's possible you've seen Kim, uh, you know, one place or another on the internet lately. She's uh, had a pretty powerful video that that went live at this point, I think like six weeks ago or so, and um, now... People are discovering her and her incredible message. And we just wanted to get together and have a conversation about you know, social justice and racial equality and everything that's going on in the country. And I thought, since I have gotten to be friendly with, with Gilly and Kim over the past year or so, um, that this would be a good way to do it. So what we're going to do is uh, Jill and I are going to ask a bunch of questions um, for a little while here. And if you have questions, write them into uh, the Q&A part, which you should you see either on the bottom or the side, depending on how your screen works. And then Sydney's going to let me know when we've got some good ones of those, and we'll ask those as well, see what some people have to, to say. So first off, Gilly, Kim, thank you guys for joining today. I know you're absolutely slammed with your schedules. We really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. <laughs> I'm happy to. Yeah. So the first thing I, I wanted to ask you is, you know, I said, just in, this, in the intro, we met like a year ago and at ALA in the before times when we were all allowed to leave our houses. And we were talking about your book, I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. And, you know, I told you both, I, I think it's the most important young adult book to come out in like forever. And uh, I still stand by that. And I'm glad that people now are realizing it. And it's, I've seen some people online say like, 
it's almost like you two looked into the future and saw things that would be happening in the streets. And I want to just kind of kick it off by letting you guys maybe point out the fact that like racial inequality and police brutality is not something that just happened this year. It just happens to be getting attention. This is really like, it's the tip of a 400 year iceberg more or less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, um, it's funny because this book was um, inspired by an article that Geely read um, during the civil unrest in Baltimore right after the death of Freddie Gray. Um, Geely saw this article about some kids who got trapped behind a police barricade that like really like upset her, particularly as a mother, and struck her. Um, and she just tried the best way she could to kind of grapple with the information and couldn't. And by us being authors, that's the way we process things, you know, is by writing. And so she came to me and said, you know, basically like stalked around. I was the manager of Little Shop of Stories at the time. And she kind of came and like stalked around when I was on shift one day and talked me into writing this book with her. Um, which wasn't, it wasn't a hard, it didn't have to be a hard sell, like, at all. It was just like, yeah, of course, obviously. Um, but so, uh, in, in, it's funny because that was five years ago. That's the interesting part about it, is that that was five years ago. And so our book came out a year ago. Um, it's, it's a month away from being, not even a month away, a few weeks away from being um, a year old. And so it's funny with everything that's happening. Now people are discovering the book in a way that they hadn't before. And it's just interesting to me. And I think that that is like commentary on the fact that we live in multiple Americas, that people are experiencing America in a very different way, whereas this is obviously not a new conversation for me or for most African-American people. Um, I was telling someone the other day, I was watching videos from Martin Luther King and Fannie Lou Hamer talking about police brutality um, in the 50s and 60s. And the conversation hasn't changed. It definitely hasn't changed in our community, but because um, you know, non-black and brown people don't experience that same kind of like imminent threat of having a poor relationship with law enforcement. It seems very fresh and new. Um, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot of the outrage that you're seeing from black and brown people because black and brown people are feeling like, how is this new to you? I've been screaming this, you heard me scream this at Rodney King, you heard me scream this at Freddie Gray. How are you just now getting it at George Floyd? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also interesting to think about, and we, we have had that question come up, like, did you, how did you know this was going to happen? And the answer is you didn't need a crystal ball because what's, we haven't been addressing the systems of racism and injustice, right? These systems have been perpetuated really for 400 years. So we started writing this book in 2015. You didn't need a crystal ball to predict that if we didn't address police brutality, if we didn't address systems of injustice, um, another flashpoint was going to occur because, because the events that cause it continue to occur. Right. Yeah, it's not like you were writing a dystopian futuristic right. novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or historical fiction, right? Like, I really wish that when we started writing this book in 2015, we were like, well, instant historical fiction. Children will be reading about this as the distant past. But like, no, no. 
No. We've captured this moment in time. Moving on. Move on. <laughs> well, I mean, I do think that's a that's a that brings up the idea of like, why do you think this moment is the tipping point in a way for non-black and brown people in a way that it hasn't been in the past? I think the pandemic. Like, I really think it was because of the pandemic. I think people were at home for the first time um, in a way that you, like, couldn't be distracted from it, um, that you weren't getting one story on it, that there wasn't one narrative piping through. And I also think it was the situation, I think, I don't think George Floyd is the reason we've had such a global outbreak, but I think he was the catalyst for the conversation becoming so vibrant. And I think the reason he was the catalyst for the conversation because becoming so violent is because eight minutes and 46 seconds is very brutal to watch. Mm-hmm. It's very brutal to watch. And it's like anybody with any sense of humanity was going to be sh- struck by that. Um, but I think that people consumed it in a different way because of the pandemic. I don't know, what do you think? Uh, no, I, I agree. I think the fact that we have built in time and space to sit with the information that is being laid bare is really a crucial part of this. But I also wanna say, I, I really love the way you phrased that question because I'm not ready to say it is a tipping point yet, right? I think it is the, we have, we, it, it is the start of a journey. Awareness is not the same thing as action for the white community, right? That's so it, yeah. to the extent that you weren't aware before, which we really need to question why that was, like that's the first thing you need to interrogate in yourself. But so, so now that we are, this information has been laid bare before us in a way that either because of the pandemic or the, brutality captured on film we, we we can't turn away from what do we do next i want to see that i will know if this is a tipping point in a year from now right when all of the people who have chosen to speak up and speak out um and offer solidarity have also taken action within the wingspan that they they reach to create change in their lives and in their communities and that's when i'll be willing to say in retrospect that was a tipping point because i i think this is the start of a, of a journey that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. It's like even, um, I think I saw yesterday, Asheville is looking into um, reparations through like investment plans. And then they were like, they're the, like to you, to your point, it's not a typical point. That's, that's the first city the first, really, yeah. like staying that type of a thing. And yeah, so to say that like, this is a tipping point and you're absolutely right. It, it can't go back to, oh, well, that was great. Let's just go back to life. Like you can't. Right. Um, so anyone who has spent like even a minute in the two of you's like space, which I've gotten to do some, a little bit of knows how like close you are and just the relationship you guys have is so special and just like it, I love it so much as both friends and co-authors. I will never forget like the two of you showing up at our American Library Association booth a year ago and just like being like a hurricane of fun. And I was like, oh my God, these two are wonderful. <laughs> and so... What we talked about that day was you two have a really unique process when it comes to having challenging conversations, because for anyone who hasn't read the book yet, we'll we'll see that, you know, there's a white protagonist and a black protagonist, and they, it's from both their perspectives, but you wrote the book together. And so I was wondering if you guys wouldn't mind just sort of kind of expanding on how you have those conversations. And I know that there's a real special tool you guys use that I'll let you kind of talk about, but just can you kind of tell everybody how you do that? Because I think it would be really helpful for people to understand when they're having conversations with, you know, family members or, or friends that may not feel the same way they do. 
you want to go, Kim, or you want me to go? <laughs> you want me to go? So, um, so the first thing that I always like to say is we were friends before we started working on this book together, right? Like we had not super close, but we had known each other for at least a year. Um, and that contributed to what we ultimately describe as a brave space, right? Like we, you, if you're going to talk about race in America, um, or any other sort of topic that is sensitive, you have to be able to ask questions and ask hard questions. And if you don't have sort of a pre-existing established um, connection that you know one another's hearts and you know one another's intentions, then it's really hard to do those things. So the first thing is we started out as friends. And then the second thing is, you know, we ultimately came up with a code word, which we don't share with people because we still use it, but now we use it to gossip. <laughs> um, but we, we came up with this code word that was like, I'm going to ask a difficult question. I'm going to ask a challenging question. I'm going to ask a question that might in another context seem offensive. I, I don't have the information. I need the information to write the next part of the chapter or to, to evolve the characters. Or because we were writing girls who were interacting within the book, um, they, they show up in chapters that each one or the other of us was writing and it was important to get them right on the page. So we would use this code word to say like, I'm gonna ask the hard question and what we're gonna have the hard conversation um, and, and, and not just kind of like hit each other with it as a surprise. I love, I'm, I wanna use that for my family. Like thankfully most of my family is pretty progressive and understands what's going on but like i would love to just be like banana pancakes let's talk like whatever it is yeah banana pancakes i'm hungry i don't know yeah i mean it should be a silly word right like you you have yeah. to be able to introduce them like we have lots of levity in our friendship even when we're talking about the hard stuff um the human side of it is really important yeah sometimes i'll call her and i have like questions about you know community and culture and i'll text her and i'll be like i'm so sorry that i have to ask you this question <laughs> um i feel bad like i don't want to make you work to teach me things um but but because we have that that brave space with each other um i can you know feel i i wouldn't feel comfortable doing that with anybody else i feel comfortable doing that with her um because i know that she knows that I'm coming from a place of like seeking understanding to be a better person, not seeking understanding to validate myself, not seeking understanding to say, look at me, I'm doing a good job of being an ally. Don't you give me some cookies. Um, yeah. like, <laughs> um, like really from like, okay, I'm not understanding this moment or I don't know what this means or I've seen somewhere that this has been deemed offensive where should I start doing the work? Because that's the thing. When you create that brave space with a friend, they are not giving you your answer on a plate and now you eat, you consume it and you're done. It's like, this is, I'm having this conversation with you as a jumping off point to some work that I need to do myself. Yeah. Um, and I think we've established enough a relationship where we feel comfortable doing that with each other. But that's also why you have to expand your friend group. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are things, there are, there are moments that, that happen um, where I see things affecting the Jewish culture and I'm very conscious of how I respond to it, look at it, feel about it. And, you know, I'm not sure if this is a good or bad thing because I'm continuing to learn and trying to get better. But I think that, that part of why I'm conscious of it and I'm sensitive to it is because of my relationship with Gili. Because I think about things that I don't want to harm her.
And of course, I think of it as a world global view. Like, I don't want anything to come to harm to anyone. But because of our connection, I'm, my first instinct is I don't want to see, be involved with, or, or hear or know about things that will harm her and her family. And so that grows out to I don't want to see that at all. Um, but it's it's really nurtures that bud when you have someone you care about that you can personally feel like I don't want anybody hurting you. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody hurting her kids. I don't want anybody hurting her parents. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, like that's a profoundly important part of this, right? Is when we talk about cross cultural and interracial relationships and friendships. Like, do we know each other as, especially for the white community and the white liberal community that wants to, that wants to be woke and wants to go out and help and support? Like, do we know each other as people first? You know, are we, I, I always say, especially to my sort of my white liberal friends, um, examine your friend group. When's the last time someone who was a person of color was in your house? not in the capacity of a service professional. And I know too many people who can't answer that question. Um, and and there's a, I think that's a real problem, right? Like we have to know each other as people in order to do the work because when we are joining as, as allies and as accomplices, we need to be able to look to the members of the community that we're seeking to support and follow their lead. Um, and that comes from knowing each other and understanding each other as people. Brian Stevenson talks a lot about the principle of proximity and I think it's critically important um, to doing the work. Hey everybody, want to take a quick break from this social justice conversation to talk about today's sponsor, which is our good friends from Literati. Uh, I'm going to get to the actual ad read in a second, but first I just want to tell you, this isn't just uh, a sponsor of the podcast. It is something that I've been using for months and months since we first learned about them. Um, with COVID and staying at home and the quarantine and everything, uh, you know, we're trying to find safe ways to connect with each other. And one of the things that I've been doing with my brother and his two daughters is every Monday night, I read to them over Zoom or, you know, over FaceTime and things like that. And what's been so amazing about this is they're, they're a little bit younger. Uh, they are subscribed to Literati, so they get new books all the time. And so we can read these new books together. So it's not like they're getting something boring uh, or that they've read a million times. You know, we get to have new fresh adventures together every single Monday night. And it's been something that I have really, really loved and it's been something that not only is it educational for them, but it's fun for all of us. So, uh, you know, with libraries, schools, bookstores, everyone shut down, it, it's, it can be challenging to figure out ways to keep your kids growing and learning. And Books from Literati, which is the number one book club for kids, it's just really, it's the best way to start. So what Literati is, is a subscription book club that makes it easy to find unique and interesting books for your kids by delivering great stories straight to your doorstep. Uh, you know, Literati knows that right now home deliveries are, they're critical, not only for meeting just, you know, daily needs like groceries and things, but also for uplifting educational materials. And, you know, we don't know how long this is going to be going on. So it's just an incredible asset to know that you have that's coming every single month. By reading books together, it helps create a time of adventure and bonding with your family and has real educational benefits. You know, kids who read books have better vocabularies and they have longer attention spans. Uh, Each literati box contains five beautiful books based on a theme and contains exclusive original art and a personalized note to your child. And I can't emphasize how impactful that last part is to kids who love seeing a thing that they actually own. It's for them. So Literati actively curates these stories that spark curiosity 
and they soften the heart, which saves you hours of searching stores or looking on anything online. Um, and Literati is going to beat the Amazon list price, which is amazing. You only keep your favorites and you send back the rest for free, which means that you're only paying for the books that your kids really love. Um, with so many kids out of school, Literati is working really, really hard to get you know books into the hands of families when you don't have time to get out to do these types of things. Um, and you can even donate books that you already own and Literati will match every one you send, which is, again, just an amazing thing that they're doing. For a limited time, you can go to literati.com slash probooknerds for 25% off your first two orders. This is their best offer available anywhere. To get it, you have to go to literati.com slash probooknerds for 25% off your first two orders. That's literati.com slash probooknerds. When it comes to, you know, you clearly have this really wonderful friendship and have that safe space with each other. But when it comes to interacting with strangers or maybe people who don't agree with what is happening or, or that there is a problem, do you think it's worth having those conversations with them? And if so, how, how do you do that? I think it is worth having those conversations with them. Um, but you know, but not to the detriment of your own mental health and your own physical well-being, right? Because some people can get crazy. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't want people going back and forth on people on Facebook with people for forty-five minutes, and now you, you know, you're about to, you know, creating ulcers for yourself. Um, but, <laughs> but I, what I will say is that you should be able to have reasonable conversations with reasonable people, and. At this point, the stage that we're at right now, like we're in such a heightened state um, that I think we all need to recognize that um, your heart can be involved, but this has to be a head fight. Um, mm -hmm. This has to be a very heady fight at this point. And so um, I know myself and people like Sonia, Re Sonia Renee Taylor and Layla Assad and people like that, you know, I give assignments on my Instagram. Every Tuesday, I do this thing called Tuesday Task, where I give people tasks to educate themselves and and people ask me why you know i do that and part of it is just to be you know i think of myself as a as at this stage as an educator and i've taken that on right so don't dm other black people asking them questions but but feel free to dm me right because i've taken this charge i'm okay with it uh, you know i've someone who's waved the flag and say yes i'm someone you can ask um but Part of it also is just me arming my followers with information um, because I know most of the people who follow me are well-meaning people. And, and when I'm saying this, I'm speaking particularly to the allies who follow me. They are well-meaning people who want to educate themselves, who want to get in those Facebook fights and want to have those fights at Thanksgiving and not even fights, like conversations at their Thanksgiving dinner or whatever the case may be. And that's part of what I'm trying to do is to arm them with facts and information that allow them to have a heady conversation and not a heart conversation because a heart conversation is always going to be hard to win. I feel this way versus you feel that way is always going to be difficult. But if you're saying to the person, the facts that the facts are that we spend $23 billion more a year educating white children over educating other children, how are they going to combat that? started laughing because literally I had so many black friends in the past like six weeks like put on their Instagram stories like, Please do not ask me how to help. Just go do some research. And exactly what you said, like, I love every Tuesday when you put that up where it's like, do you want to know how to improve yourself? Here's some, here's a way. Like, here's it, a way. And, yeah. yeah. And 
I was like, so that's, I've had so many friends that were just like, y'all, please don't, please don't ask me today. Just <laughs> go Google. Just, just send them my way. Send them to me. I will, me and Layla aside, we will, we will help them. We will, we will inform them of the things. But yeah, but like, that's, that's part of it. Because when you, ha you know, this is, this is very like, harsh but like you know we're in a war of our souls if you will this mm -hmm. is this is not black versus white this is um this is anti-racist people versus racist people is what's actually happening and so i like to arm the anti-racist people with the facts because that's the only way to really have a conversation with these people is to hit them with the facts and the truth of the matter. Because you can talk to them all day from your heart and say, you shouldn't feel this way because just a human being shouldn't feel this way. And they're gonna tell you why it's humanly possible for them to feel that way and it's okay. But again, just, I like to arm people with information and I think that's what people should do when they're having these conversations are making sure that you have done the work to be in the fight. Don't pick up the charge to argue with people if you haven't done the work to know what you should be saying. If you haven't listened to the people who you should be listening to to have the information, you need to have that conversation. That's the only time you be, should be having that conversation and then you should have it because reasonable people can be reasoned with, with facts. And if a person chooses to not understand that and get it, then that's, they're choosing not to. And there's, then at that point, you know there's nothing you could do that would change that and you can let it go and don't give yourself an ulcer arguing with them for 45 minutes on Facebook. I still want people to maintain their personal mental health. <laughs> I, I like phrasing it as like the heart versus head fight and like want you like you want to come at it from like your heart but this is what you need to use to really approach it. Yeah well and I, I think there's it's both ways like you said Kim it's it's approaching those conversations with having facts and information but it is also important, like, in your heart to know it, too. Like, like you mentioned Layla, you know, her book, Me and White Supremacy. I love, there's a part in the middle, especially if you're listening to the audiobook, where she calls you out. She There's a part in it where she's like, hey, are you just listening to this? Like, do you think you're doing enough right now because you're just listening to me tell you what you should be doing? Or are you writing these down? Because if you're not, you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. And it's like that part, I think, looking into you know, taking the time to read Me and White Supremacy, you know, reading the new Jim Crow, like doing that stuff internally and in your heart realizing that there's a change. I think that then leads to being able to have those conversations with your brain where you're like, okay, I know now all the things I didn't know and that really affected me. So now I'm going to use these facts to maybe tell, you know, my uncle or this person that I know, like, hey, here are the things you're not realizing about what's going on in our society. And then to your, to your point, like, maybe follow Kim Jones and like check out what she does on Tuesdays or maybe go read, you know, me and white supremacy. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the other part of that is like when white people reach out and they're like, where, what do I do? What do I do next? Like we're the only people who know where we are right now on the journey. Right. So if I reach out to Kim and say, tell me what to do, uh, how does she know where I'm starting from? So the only way that you can know where you're starting from is to interrogate where you are. And I'm going to credit a colleague of mine, Courtney Lindell, who, who helped me see this. Like you have to interrogate where you are, right? Is this the first time you're hearing about um, racism or are you, you know, you have the, the, you go back home to the, your sort of 
liberal minded, but you have the family member at Thanksgiving who's always going to say the things? Or are you actively participating in the work? Have you read about it? You read Leila Saad's book and now you're like, okay, I need to, I'm ready to step forward into action. How do I do that? So when you just say, help me do a thing, you, nobody but you knows where you are on this spectrum and start by interrogating where am I? And that's going to help you figure out what your first step is. Yeah, and then that's going to help you to not just ask me a blank question of like, what should I do? Yeah. Um, because I, I actually get amazing questions from a lot of my followers. And, and it's exactly that, Geely. It's like, they've assessed where they are. They've, they've garnered a certain amount of information. And now they're like, hmm, there's a key missing. And the key that I'm missing is this thing. And I don't know where to go and get this thing. And so they're very specific. I can tell the ones who are doing the work because their questions are very specific. Um, I had someone email me yesterday. I posted something about textbooks and how we're educating kids. And a woman reached out to me and said, and not even a question, right? Like a helping tool. She reached out to me and DM'd me a list of the textbooks that were in the video that and that who their who their publishers were and who contributed to them and said i don't know if this is helpful to you but if it is here you go and so that was beyond doing the work she's like i'm seeing the work that you're doing and i want to be an additive to that if this is helpful great i'll do more of it that's great yeah um, so I just got a, a the, the way we have this set up i got a text from sydney um we're, i'm gonna have her ask one of the questions that we have Coming in from some other people. We have more questions for you guys, but I, I do want to give some other people a chance. So, Sydney, do you want to read one of those uh, for these two and let them kind of do everything? I sure do. Somewhere there. Hi. <laughs> so, we have some really good discussion going on in the QA, and we picked up a couple of questions. We'll start with the first one, which comes from Chris, who asks, What do you think will be the tipping point that actually brings about policy change? Good start. Ooh. Uh, I, oh, I'm going to give kind of a, kind of, um, escapist answer here. <laughs> I'm not sure that I know. I think we will know what, the, right? Sorry. Sorry, Chris. Um, I don't mean to dodge, but I think the answer is like, it's really hard to assess in the middle of change what the tipping point was. I could tell you what I think concrete change starts to look like, right? When I see us, um, and this is a thing that I've learned from Kim, right? When I see everybody taking a harder look at their local elected officials and really voting with intention, because a lot of policy that impacts the community gets made at the local level. So when I see us looking at the DAs and the judges that we're electing and electing people whose platform is not this expansive lock up everybody platform, when I see us divesting from the prison, um, the for-profit prison system, when I see us divesting from uh, militarized policing, then I will may maybe be able to look back and say like, these were the things, but I don't, I won't, I personally don't feel like I will know until um, I can look back and see it. Yeah, I think, I think it's really hard to tell right now because if I'm being completely truthful, some people are running scared for again, what I say, it always roots down to economic reasons as opposed to social reasons, right? So when you see a lot of these corporations like coming to terms with themselves, and Jamama, you've known that was racist for a very long time. You didn't have to wake up and recognize that. Today. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this was not news to you. Like, oh my God, we've been selling all this syrup and we never knew. Um, <laughs> So I think, I'm sorry. This is why Gillian has no, no business dealing with race relations. Um, 
<laughs> if you know us, you're like, those two wrote this book? Those? Not two of them have I mean, I know. This with serious subjects. Um, <laughs> but I... <laughs> I'll let you keep laughing. You're right, though. Like, even, like, to expand it, like, even beyond race relations, like, the inappropriate, um, you know, sports teams' names, like, the 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 Washington football team, not even going to say the name, they decided for reasons, which was financial, that they're going to change their name. And then, lo and behold, guess who's deciding that their name might be racist, too? The Cleveland baseball team. It's like, they're, yeah. they've always known there's going to be a problem. It's just, right. like, oh, someone else saw it, so... Ooh, you know what? Maybe we maybe we should be a part of the. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you guys aren't fully aware of these to- this tomfoolery you've been involved in for so long, but yeah. I think because I think because this is a global movement, right? So this mo this movement that is happening right now, although the premise of it is Black Lives Matter, it is a worldwide movement, and it is a movement of people of all ethnicities all sexual orientations, um, all gender identities, all colors, all religions, everywhere in the world, people are taking to the street on our behalf. And so when you have a global movement, you, I mean, I, I, maybe I'm ignorant, someone can educate me, but I don't think we've seen a movement like this ever where the world was like, this is what we're talking about, you know? And so I think when you have a global movement like that, yeah, it's, it's, it's doing exactly what we needed to do. It has the bad people running scared because they're like, oh my God, it's just not this 13% of people of the population in this one country that is making noise. Because keep in mind, we've been making noise about this since Trayvon Martin. So we're talking about a decade of Mm -hmm. um, almost, I think it's been eight years since the Black Lives Matter hashtag started. So this has been a conversation for a long time, but it was almost like a private conversation with Black people and a handful of allies. You know what I mean? But now it's a global conversation and even if you're a big business you're like everybody's mad and everybody will be mad at me if i don't do the right thing and i will lose tons of money if i don't do the right thing because everybody's mad and so right now you're seeing a lot of like performative action from people who are just scared of going broke so i think we're gonna i think he's right we're gonna have to get a few years down the line and some more genuine legislation and some more genuine policy changes before we say, okay, this this was when I this is when I saw the people starting to turn the corner. Yeah, the point about the global that it's a global movement is interesting because it it makes me kind of like circle back to this idea of the pandemic being part of it and the. The world is sort of watching the United States in a different way right now, and they're starting to see that there are problems from the top down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I'm just trying to be Definitely whatever. The so, That's the best you know, thing you've ever <laughs> So, I mean, I, I, so that probably is part of it. Like, it's not just what is happening with the pandemic. Like, there are systems <laughs> I'm in place sorry, that... Like the whole world is watching, and that probably is contributing to this global movement. Yeah, yeah. Jill, we're so sorry. Adam is so silly. He cannot I be. To run I'm aware. I can't even look at. Can, I, I record a podcast can't, with him twice a week. I'm well aware. <laughs> <laughs> Kim, I can't even look at your screen. I, I was just like, I got to like hide you so I can. Listen fine. To this fine. At least he's not home with the dogs right now. That's I know true. that's why I'm here because I didn't want everything to be barking. No, I. Jill, I think you're absolutely right. Like I watched 
German soccer matches and German soccer players are taking a knee and they have Black Lives Matter stuff mm -hmm. all around. And I am allowed to make this joke too, Keely, because I'm half Jewish. Like German people are doing that. That's like, it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's incredible. They've come a, yes, they've come a long way. Yeah. There goes Kim. Um, Cindy, do you want to ask us another one of those serious questions and pull us all of our from our giggle? Everyone, wow, wow. okay. Did this is shenanigans full this time. Is, this is grown up time. This is when we put our teacher voices on. Okay, uh, we've had a lot of really good ones. So, folks in the audience, I apologize if I'm skipping over. I'm looking for questions that we haven't at least touched on. So, some things where we might get some new conversations coming out of. Uh, one of them comes from Kimberly, another Kimberly, who asks, what conversations do you hope educators will have with their students who read your book in the classroom? <laughs> That's a really good one. I will say two things. The first is, I hope that educator is having a conversation with themselves and the faculty first, right, as the leaders of it, right, and figuring out again, like, where are you in this journey? Um, and the second thing is, Part of the reason why we wrote this book as a young adult novel is because kids experience everything that's happening just as adults do. But oftentimes we want to talk to or at kids instead of with them. And so I would say like I, over the past year before COVID when we got to travel, Kim and I spent a lot of time talking to high school students and they have absolutely blown me away with how... Um, knowledgeable they already are and how much knowledge they desire to acquire. Like more often than not, I learned things from them as much from them as they did from me, um, if not vice versa. And so I would say like, I hope that when you're talking with kids about this book, that you're talking with them and inviting them to provide their opinions to you and, and, um, ask them, you know, what do they recognize about their own community in this characters, right? Like back into, especially for Campbell, who's the white character, sometimes it's hard to say I do X, but back into that with, have you ever heard the uh, opinions that Campbell expresses in your own community? And back into things that way, because art is a portal into the conversation. Yeah. What she said. <laughs> No, but I, I think you're, you're really, like, that's such a good point. You, I, Jason Reynolds has told, told me that, too. He was like, I learn more than I teach when I'm sitting with, down with these kids. And it's, he's like, it's not even the things that they see. He jokes. He's like, I learn how, like, the vernacular, like, the jokes that they tell, the, the dances they do, like, the stuff that I can put in the 80s that, he's like, that makes me look way cooler than I am. I, I see that in these kids. And I, I mean, when we were, I was with you two in, in, back in November, like, in, outside of Atlanta like the same thing like the I learned more from the, the questions the kids had I yeah. more than you can kind of take away um before we get back to those questions Joe you had a really good one about centering that um for Geely that I was, it's at the bottom of oh, our I list. did I did didn't I yeah I don't want about that this is what happens um yeah. oh okay let's see if I can figure out a way to phrase this yeah um I guess like as a white person, obviously, I think a lot of things that people struggle with is this idea of how do you decide when to amplify, amplify, you know, voices of black and brown people like him. And when is it your job to sort of like, do that versus joining the conversation specifically. Um, and because of your relationship with writing this book together, how do you go about not centering yourself? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I do. I think it can be a little bit of a hard balance. I mean, I, I would generally say, 
you should defer and default to the community that you're trying to support, right? Like the community that you are seeking to be an ally to gets to decide the right way to be an ally to them. Um, and so if you're not sure, defer and default and amplify another voice, amplify a voice from the community that you're seeking to support rather than centering your own. And I would also say like, I think when I think about centering myself, that's often a very personal thing, right? I'm seeking um, to that reassurance that Kim mentioned that I'm, that I'm an ally, right? I, I you know, I, I want to be one of the good ones. I want people to, you know, I want to wear that with pride and that's about me, right? That's not about the work. That's not about improving my allies life. That's not asking them what they need. That's about making myself feel better. So if you are joining a conversation to show off your knowledge, um, particularly if you're doing that within the community you're trying to support or to prove your bona fides, like step all the way back from that because it's not about the white community it's really not so if you're if you're seeking to prove yourself that's the wrong way to enter this conversation that makes a lot of sense um has it's gonna be i guess this is weird to ask because the first book is so much about things that are what's going on right now but for, for people who haven't read it yet there will be a second book that's not a spoiler um but has what's going on in society other than the fact that you probably can't write in person together. Like, has <laughs> has everything going on, whether it was the pandemic or the Black Lives Matter, like movement having so much attention, has it affected the way that you guys are putting things into book two or editing things into book two, or is it kind of like done and you're, you've moved on? Yeah, it's definitely not done. She <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not to Margaret. We also are like, um, overthinkers um and so down to the there's stuff and i'm not dying with you tonight that i'm like how did you get yourself in this book um <laughs> like you did you see this this made it in I'm like how did we miss this we only rewrote it 40 times um but yeah it, it it it's impossible for it not to have an effect on on what we're writing now especially because that's kind of our shtick that's what we write about is race relations in america I probably shouldn't call that a stick. Sorry, scratch that. Um, that's that's our mission. That's our mission um, is to to give people tools to have the hard conversations and hopefully bring them closer together. And so, yeah, it's it's it would be impossible for it not to affect the second book. We're still um, in the editing process of that. We're not even like in copy edits. We're still in developmental edits. Mm -hmm. So there are there are chunks and pieces. Um, that are going to change. Um, and and Gilly and I are always thinking about sensitivity to the moment, right? Because even when we were writing I'm Not Dying With You Tonight, there were things that were in the original draft that we changed because we felt like we we checked ourselves and felt like, okay, this may be insensitive to the moment. Or, okay, this this is similar to something that we wrote that has now happened in real life. Should we keep it in or leave it out? If we keep it in, we have to be very cautious about how we move with it. And if we take it out, are we becoming inauthentic? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's constantly something that's like toiling in the back of our mind. Geely texted me like a few weeks ago and was like, hey, I think I have some ideas about some changes we should make based on the climate, you know? And so we're, yeah, for, unfortunately for us, um, the YA world is hypercritical. And so you have to be very cautious of the way that you move because if the Twitter mob comes for you, they come for blood. 
I've heard only great things about why Twitter. What are you talking about? I'm, not... <laughs> I'm just not going to say anything about that. Sydney, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to ask another couple of these questions that we got coming in? Sure. Okay. I'm going to ask a couple different ones. Um, one of them, which I think is really interesting, comes from Jennifer, is can Republicans and conservatives be on the same page and in the same sphere as the authors? If so, can you name a few in the public sphere who are doing it right? <laughs> Come on, let me grab my phone, see if I can dig someone up. I was just going to yeah. say, I... <laughs> I mean, I think it's okay if the answer is no, but... <laughs> I mean, the answer is hypothetically, yes, right? Like, uh, but if what we are not on the same page about is someone's essential humanity, then I, no, right? Like, if we disagree about treating people as human beings with equal rights, I, I don't know what else I have to say to you. I saw Colin Powell on CNN the other day. He said smart things. <laughs> There's one. There's one. I also would say, like, oh, and I'm getting dangerous. I'm getting dangerous in politics here. So <laughs> sorry, everybody. But like, I, I, I feel like there's a, a climate where um, extremist views are are proliferating, right? And I feel like there there may be people in the conservative who who would describe self describe as political conservatives who have views that they don't feel like they can express, right? Like, so um, I think the answer to that is yes, if we're willing to pull back from those those extremist yes. views and create space for the more moderate views to talk, right? Like, there we go, that's, I'm done now. <laughs> oh, and I will say this, and I, 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 I'm okay if I get in trouble for saying this. I was super proud of Mitt Romney the other day that he showed some spine. Mm -hmm. I was super proud of him, but here's the other thing. I also was not surprised, right? Because contrary to popular belief, like Mitt has been that kind of like moderate um, conservative that disappeared off the face of the planet uh, around Tea Party time. Um, that that he that's always kind of been his character. Um, I actually even was quoted saying something nice about him a few years ago and people gave me like a really hard time. It was in like Red Book magazine and people were like, you said something nice about Mitt Romney. I'm like, he is an actual <laughs> human. Um, but yeah, I think, <laughs> I think, I think, I think that that's the type of leadership that we need, right? Like we need someone who says, I'm not going to toe the party line when I'm seeing something that's recklessly crazy and I'm going to have a spine and even if I have to stand alone. I'm okay with that um, because that's that's the right thing to do and I think that that's what we need to see more of in leadership is just doing the thing that is that is best for the greater good even if that means you have to do it alone that's what real leadership looks like mm -hmm. yes I will also say now I know really what I want to say about this right like it is very hard to speak up to someone you perceive to be on the opposite side of an issue, like a stranger who, who you perceive to be other from you. It's very hard to speak up and tell them, um, call them, speak your truth to them. 
I honestly think it's even harder to speak up to someone you perceive to be within the group that you identify with and correct them or call them out on something, right? It's even harder to say, friend, you got it wrong this time. So I would say to people, but, but that kind of bravery is what we need to keep moving the ball forward, right? So if you self-identify as a conservative or you live in an area that's conservative, I respect the fact that it might be very difficult to say, friend, you've got this wrong. Let me help you understand. But I would encourage you, again, within the boundaries of um, personal safety, uh, don't risk your personal safety to do this. But if you can call upon your friends to do better, um, please do. Yeah, do that. And then, yeah. And then we absolutely can be in the same conversation because you are doing the same thing we're seeking to do, which is have that conversation that we all emerge from. We, Kim and I firmly believe two things. One, growth comes from discomfort. So let's have the uncomfortable conversation. And I shouldn't be speaking for Kim, but I've heard her say this before. Um, <laughs> uh, and two, we, when we know better, we do better. Yeah. It's true. And you know what? I also... Um, I think Kim might have froze. Yeah, I think she's, she's breaking up a little bit. We broke the internet. Broken. Okay. Yay. It's broken. It, it needed like to that. be a little broken. It did. Um, while she's continuing to be frozen, uh, say so you want to find another one, maybe she'll kind of it'll sure. up for. Um, we have a, We have one that starts off great. This is uh, an anonymous question, but it starts off banana pancakes. Um, <laughs> Excellent oh, yeah. use of the code word. Right. Well it's, it says question for Kimberly, but I'm assuming that maybe all voices are welcome. Uh, what do you think of groups like the Dixie Chicks changing their name to the Chicks or Lady Antebellum changing their name to Lady A? Are these gestures appreciated or is it too little too late? Uh, Ash. We lost her completely. Yeah. And Hopefully she'll try and log back on. I mean, Evie, I'll let you touch to it in more in depth. Jill, you look like you had something you might I did, but I'll let you start. Um, you know, I think that's a hard one. And, I, and this is a moment actually where I would defer to the community, right? I would say normally I would defer to Kim here because um, those gestures were meant to be supportive of the Black community. And so the more important voice to answer this question is, is the uh, someone who identifies as a member of that community. Um, I will say in general, um, those types of actions, symbols are important and they matter. And sometimes they're a, an indication of where we are and what we value as a society. So I won't put no importance on them. I think when you're seeking to create symbols, A, is that all you're doing? If you stopped there and that's all you did, mm, that's performative. I'm not super impressed by that. And B, I'm not super impressed by the way that Lady <laughs> Antebellum, and I'm not gonna call them Lady A, uh, you know, there is a is singer, a black singer who's been using that as her stage name for 20 years. And so also the lawyer in me jumps out and is like, who cleared that trademark for you, y'all? Um, but but also like, in hindsight, the way they've gone about that also says to me, like, that was a pretty performative gesture. If This is where we are right now. Sorry, Lady Antebellum. No, that's what I was going to mention was the Lady A, not yeah. the band, the, yes, yeah. the that's, artist. That's, it's not supportive anymore, right? Correct. If you're, like if you, if, in, in seeking to put out a symbol of your support, you are trampling on a member of the community. Correct. Um, yikes. Yeah, if you're like creating more harm, that's not doing what you think it is. Yeah. That's not an allyship, yeah. I would agree. I think it goes, again, not to put words into Kim's mouth, but what she said earlier about like Aunt Jemima and stuff, like 
you didn't just realize that antebellum wasn't an appropriate word yeah. now you just start realizing it because it'll give you a chance to, and like we've done some reflection like no you haven't you had a pr firm that was like you should probably change it yeah Sydney, you wanna I, I was gonna say we can probably circle back to that when and if kimberly comes back on the line um yeah. so i have one that's a little bit more general that i think could lead to some cool conversation which is is there talk of a movie <laughs> <laughs> Yes, actually, and not only that, in fact, we, the, a, a couple of fabulous production companies, um, Prominent Productions and Radar Pictures have optioned the movie. Uh, so, and they are both ex wonderful. Prominent Productions is, I mean, they, they've expressed interest for a little while now, and they're working on a script, and they're super excited and motivated, and uh, they have so much heart for the story that we told. Um, that I'm, I'm just excited to have it in their hands. It's a long way, I will say like, it's a long way from where we are now to cameras rolling, but if anyone's gonna get it done, it's prominent and radar. Yeah, Very so exciting. Saw that, yeah. Super cool. I don't, I've never been cooler to my own children than what I got to tell them. <laughs> they were like, what? Okay, movie deal, that's awesome. Yeah, I, you know, it's, it, what you said about how long things take is so, so true. Like I remember, um, I got to interview Tommy Adeyemi like before her first book came out, like a, a year before her first book came out, but the news had already broken then. Like she signed an, a book deal and a movie deal. And that was literally, I think it was like four or five years ago that I interviewed her. I'm like, they haven't started doing stuff just yet. It, it's such a long process. It is. Yeah. Movies are a long process, yeah. but. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing so far. Um, Cindy, you have another one or anything that you want to and I'm just trying to stall until we see. I know, <laughs> I know, we're trying to make it. <clears throat> um, I have one that I feel like throwing this bomb at like nine minutes till the end is a little difficult, but and it's it's a little general, but I feel like we could get some good discussion going with maybe everyone in the room, which is what do you think of white fragility? Irma asks. The book or the idea? The idea, I do believe. Oh. Because she did not capitalize it, and her other punctuation was. Anybody else want to jump in? She says the book. I actually, I, I, I have, I've thought, um, <laughs> from like real life experience. So I, uh, I, I used to work in a prison. I wrote a memoir about it, and in my presentations, when I go around to libraries, I talk about the criminal justice system, specifically against. African-Americans and how incredibly screwed up it is. And I talk about the war on drugs and go into statistics and facts about like, this is what it looks like. And I, I gave one of these presentations to a local community here in Cleveland. It's somewhat like upper middle class white. And a friend of mine who works at the library later told me that one of the comments was that I should stop talking about the drug portion. <laughs> because the white people didn't like hearing about that part. <laughs> That's white fragility. <laughs> like when someone, you know what I mean? Like someone is coming in telling you that this community is being harmed by our legal system and you feel like that should be left out of the conconversation that you should like, that's something you should sit with. And if it makes you uncomfortable, ask yourself why. Like, I think that's the thing with white fragility. Like, if it makes you uncomfortable, rather than getting defensive, like, sit with that maybe, and and ask yourself why it makes you uncomfortable, and if there is something you can do internally to, to like, grow from that discomfort, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I exactly what you said about being uncomfortable. Like we're having conversations through the past, you know, two months, you should be uncomfortable, but there's a difference between saying I'm uncomfortable with this idea and running away from it. That is turning a blind eye. And the difference, you know, the thing is like you can be uncomfortable with something except that maybe you aren't as educated as you should be. Right. And then take yeah. the next steps of saying like, this is hard to hear or like, you know, like Kim was talking about before, like the, you know, the George Floyd video, like it was hard to watch. Guess what? It should be hard to watch. If you can watch that and be like, I'm uncomfortable. So I'm going to shut this off and not worry about it. Right. That's white privilege. That's, you know, yeah. It's using yeah. your white fragility to have your white privilege. Right. Yeah. Um, Actually, interesting enough, I will mention this in the context of the book, right? And I think there's a little bit of a double-edged sword here, right? I, racism is not a Black problem that we should empathize with. It is a white problem that we must fix. Um, so starting from that premise that, that it is upon us to dismantle racist systems <clears throat> and to uproot racist um, mindsets. So we, we are required to be participants in this process. But at the same time, who, if we are only comfortable listening to other white people in this process, I have some real concerns about that, right? Like if you look at the bestseller list, white fragility written by a white woman has been at the top of the bestseller list. Why are we more comfortable listening to her voice on this incredibly important topic than the black voices that are also speaking about it? So to me, the mere fact that the book about white fragility is at the top of bestseller lists is evidence of white fragility. Yeah. Um, we shouldn't be, um, we should be turning to and listening to the black voices that are speaking to us about this and, and listening to them and sitting with our discomfort about them. I, so. I love that point so much. Again, like read write white fragility if you want to understand what it means and then go read How to Be an Anti-Racist by you know, Dr. Kendi yeah. and learn yeah. how to actually take action from it. Yeah, I, I agree. That's such yeah. a good point. Um, Sydney, you want to ask like one more? I think we might have lost Kim. For <laughs> I know, I think we did. Uh, all I really wanted to say in response to that is that Irma was also talking about the book. So if you if you have read it and have anything to say, she said yes, the the the, the point too. But oh. um, if you do have anything that you'd like to to add as far as the the book, I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is don't stop there. Please don't stop there. Yeah. Any, any, any more that you want to throw out there? Um, well, there are, there are four minutes left. And so um, a lot of the questions that came through were about uh, recommending books and, you know, do you have a cameo in the movie and some cool things like that? I'm wondering <laughs> though, which I, yes, please, you guys could talk all day. I've been taking furious notes. Um, I just would love to know if there's anything any action steps, any calls to action that you would like to leave the audience with today? If they're going to take from today's session anything to their hearts and what they can move out into their communities and do on their own or with uh, their own friends and allies, what would that be? What would that look like? Mm, those are really good. I'm sort of torn between that and just spending the next four minutes recommending books. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would say like the first thing is, again, like I, I, you need to start where you are. And so the next step for everybody might be a little bit different, but a, a particular um, 
tear that I get on deals with faith communities, right? Like for a lot of people, their faith community, whatever that is, is a very important part of their life. And that is a place where you can affect concrete change. So the number one thing I would say is like, if you are a member of a faith community, I'm Jewish. Um, what is my synagogue doing about um, racial justice? What is my synagogue doing about the notion of proximity? Um, what is my synagogue doing about the racism that is expressed against Jews of color within our own community? Because that is a problem and I, I we need to acknowledge that and take steps to address it. So I, that would be my first thing to say. It's like if, and it doesn't have to be your faith community necessarily, right? Like it could also be another community that you're a member of. Like look to see what change you can actually begin to affect there after having done the work, right? Like jumping ahead and taking the lead and is, is um, a misstep. So do the work, look to the leaders within your community um, who are doing this work and seeing how you can be an ally to them is a better place to start. Want me to do book recommendations I was gonna now? say, if you wanna do book recommendations too, yeah, go for it. <laughs> well, Nick Stone, who is a beloved, a beloved author and friend of mine, has been saying a lot recently about it's important and it's it's not that the reading about the books like ours that are about the 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 moment that we're in right now, right? The, the civil unrest, those are important, but also read books about communities other than your own experiencing joy and living their ordinary lives. So um, Nick Stone's Odd One Out. Uh, anything by Lamar Giles, like I'm a massive Lamar Giles fan. Uh, Gabby Rivera's Juliet Takes a Breath is a phenomenal book um, about LGBTQ experience. And she's a, a Latina from the Bronx. Uh, I just finished reading The Brave by James Byrd, which he is an indigenous person. Um, what else? Uh, feel free to jump in, you guys. You read as much as I do. Uh, I We just had the author of Cinderella's Dead on the podcast oh. last week, and that is a retelling, well, re like a reimagining of Cinderella from, and the main character is African, is African and just like blew me away. Such an incredible book. Um, the From a not, from a, exactly what you said, like focusing on books that aren't just about racial equality and social justice like uh, there's a book coming out next week called the year of the witching which is a real witchy like culty horror book and the main the protagonist is black like just find stories yeah. where is the center yeah. oh ashley um, it was another one i just finished reading it um when you were everything by ashley woodfolk is a story about a friendship breakup and also new love but like in my own life some of the most traumatizing events have been friendship breakups and she does such a gorgeous job of exploring this friendship breakup in conjunction with developing a new love and some family drama um so i'm like everybody should go out and get when you were everything by ashley Woodfolk. i was gonna say if you read romance like i do Alyssa cole's books are delightful and she has a new i think it's a suspense book or mystery type thing coming out in the fall which i'm very excited about but yep Oh, yeah. Zoraida Cordova's oh. uh, Incendiary, which is beautiful, and my 13-year-old daughter just inhaled it. So read Zoraida's books. Um, Ryan Lasala's Reverie is a wild, fabulous LGBT fantasy. Um, so yeah, like read widely outside of um, just books about sort of trauma. Um, Kim, Kim, you're like the busiest one in the entire world. Do you have a few minutes to, now that we got you back? Yeah, I got, I got, this is my last event of the day. I got all the time. I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm like both really great with technology and just equally as terrible with it. So it's like, I can understand all of the apps and the things, but can't remember to like charge my computer. 
Um, so that's amazing. So to catch up to speed, we were just having a little bit of fun. We were talking about somebody asked a question about like, book recommendations, and we before you hopped on, we were talking about not only finding books that talk about you know social justice and racial inequality, but also finding authors who are different than you, whether they're BIPOC authors or whoever it is, whether it's LGBTQ, finding authors and books that center those people and show them having moments of joy and just like genuine, genuine, genuine. Uh, you know, moments of life. So if you, Kim, now that the three of us have kind of rambled, do you have any like book recommendations of stuff you've loved? Yeah, there's so many things that I love. Um, I love Slay. I think that book is really cool. I'm um, reading that right now. It's so good. Yeah, I'm like, I, I love that book. It's like so super cool. And I love anything by like um, Connie Morrison Schofield. They're like picture books. So I'm sorry, I'm like going down a little bit. But um, <laughs> I love her picture books because her picture books are just like little a little black girl having like joy in her life and she just has like school spirit or she's got rhythm or you know she has a holiday one and it's just this little girl just like enjoying the day and having fun and it's so like cute and uplifting um and I love I also love anything by Subba Tahir um um yeah Subba just has like a really cool way of making of like writing these characters that obviously some of them are POCs but also they're just like these high fantasy adventures um and we need like all all of that in the world and I know someone said it but I just want to like emphasize um Ryan LaSala's book um Reverie and also you should just follow Ryan LaSala um for all the entertainment he provides on the social media we were talking about that <laughs> I literally before we even started him. recording. Like, I, I jokingly call him the only good literary. Like, oh, he was, yeah, he's incredible. Actually, today at our office, I got a box from Sourcebook to give some love to your publisher. They, Be Dazzled, his new book is like in there, and I basically screamed in our office. Yeah, he's. I'm so jealous. I've never been more jealous. Sourcebooks, if you're listening, I, I want it. Yeah, I want one, two Sourcey books. You know what? I'll even I'll give one more. Yeah, you guys not have. It. I'll give you even one more from the you know, Marika, um, Marika Nikomp, who's another source book. I, you know, she wrote "This Is Where It Ends," which was everywhere a few years ago. But her new book, "Even If We Break," is the most diverse cast, the most sexually diverse cast I've ever seen, and it's basically a group of friends playing like a Dungeons and Dragons type game. So, like it is, it is the she told me she's like this is the nerdiest book that's ever been written, and it's the most okay. diverse cast. So yeah, just find. Learn to understand that if a book is, you know, genreed as African literature or LGBTQ, that doesn't mean it's not approachable for you. It's just that's who the character is. And once you just establish, like, that's the person that I'm reading about, it's yeah. a story. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, Don't Read the Comments by Eric Smith is really good, too. I haven't I read, really... read that one. Oh, it's really good. Yes. Really quickly, I, I apologize. I just want to say we're just getting a bunch of questions to say, Yes, we will be posting to everyone listening. We will be posting book recommendations in the show notes. People are like, slow down. I can't write them all down. <laughs> Same with me. So yes, Listen. they will be there. And also we are recording the session. It will be available to watch on the Professional Book Nerds podcast after it's been trimmed and uploaded and all that good stuff. Also, Ryan LaSala is in the audience and he says, LOL, I love you all. Oh, hey, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, like hit us up on social like I absolutely love I call myself the book yenta I love nothing more than making a good book shirach so which is a match 
so you know find me on social media if you have a need a book because i'll do it i'm not so good outside of the ya um but i could i'll do my best <laughs> Ely's our literary fiddler on the roof over there she is. I'm pretty sure you just signed up for a really long conversation with me, Geely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I'm here for it. Follow you. Uh, yeah, also, I will, like I said, everyone listening in, go to professionalbookdreams.com. Well, we have li lists and lists and lists of books that we recommend that include everyone we just mentioned. I think we've had just about every source books author. Like, we, like, you guys, Marie Benedict, Ryan... Marika, like every, I just, we just kind of run. Lot, yeah. Yeah. Sourcebooks is cool. Sourcebooks are. Stuff. Um, also, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You, you, you. I was just going to shout out to, it's also a woman-owned business. Shout out to Dominique Rocca, who built Sourcebooks. She's, as Kim said, she's a badass. Mm -hmm, yeah. And she is. She's incredible. Um, Sydney, any other questions? Does Ryan, does Ryan have anything to say that he wants to add? <laughs> <laughs> no, he just Do said, hello, I love you. Um, we did I have one so question. We, should we hear Ryan's question publicly? I don't know. Right, I don't, mm, I don't know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so Kit actually had two questions. She just added a new one at the end. I know you touched on this a little bit, Kimberly, but I'm wondering if you have any more information about, uh, she says, as a Black creative, do you ever find it exhausting to be a go-to for topics of racial injustice and inequality in the back Black community if so, what do you do in those moments? Um, here's the thing, like, I can honestly say that for the most part, as long as it's coming to me digitally, it doesn't really bother me. Like, I really don't get exhausted by it. Like, I'm totally okay with, you know, responding to text messages. Also, because digitally, right, I'm doing it at my own pace. I'm doing it when I feel like it. I don't, if I'm not in the, if I'm having a rough day of some, bill my task force tried to put together didn't pass and I'm not in the mood to like talk to people but you know at the moment then I'll respond to people the next day so in terms of like digitally doing it no I don't I don't ever really get exhausted by that and again because I fully am aware and I take responsibility for the for the fact that I've taken on this charge um that I that I chose to take on this charge and that I'm okay with that I was on a panel a couple weeks ago that Jamel Hill was hosting and there was another black creative on there. And he said, yeah, I would like to get tired, but I'm afraid if I just leave white people to their own devices, it won't go well. So he's like, some of us have to take responsibility. <laughs> can we can we actually circle back to the question that we lost Kim on? Because oh, yeah. I would like to defer to her on that. Yes. I have to scroll so, up now. Kim, we got a question about um, the Dixie Chicks dropping the word Dixie from their name and Lady Antebellum changing their name to Lady A and what our perception of those types of actions is. Um, here's the thing. I, I think that we ask people to get better and then they, they get better and we say, look at you trying to get better. <laughs> You know what I mean? If it's like performative shenanigans, like the Angel Mama people, which let the record reflect, I'm never letting them have let go of that. Um, <laughs> but if it's if it's people who are genuinely saying, you know what, 
I didn't understand the weight of what I was doing. And I'm glad we're now in a space where I'm learning the weight of what these words or these terms, how, what they mean to people and how they affect people. And I'm seeing it in a new way. And I am learning and I am doing the work. And I can't say that I'm learning and doing the work and then still have this name. That doesn't really go together. And so saying, yeah, I'm going to drop that Dixie because that doesn't go with my boots. Especially you got to look at someone like Dixie Chicks. Dixie Chicks have always tried to be on the right side of history. Um, they have they have always actively tried to do that. And so for me, for me personally, I, I am not an elected Black spokesperson for all things Black. However, for me personally, um, I don't think that like, I can speak for the Dixie Chicks. I don't know Lady A as well, but I can. I I don't feel like it's performative. I feel like it is part of a growth process. And um, Geely actually taught me this. We've had this conversation before. When you when I see someone trying to do the work and trying to get better, I'm okay with taking that journey with them. Because here's the thing: just because you're a marginalized group of people, don't mean that you don't carry your own set of implicit bias. Um, I think particularly for white people, um, for black people, it's difficult for us to be racist because racism requires a certain level of power that we don't have. Um, but I think implicit bias and prejudice is something that we all carry and grapple with. And I can even think about um, things that I heard around my kitchen table and in my neighborhood, in my community as a younger person that I outgrew um, as I got older and started to form my own opinions and and started to have a more um, diverse friend group. Um, and I grew out of, I basically grew out of like bad ideas, you know what I mean? And and and, pre and just call it what it is, prejudice. I grew out of like really poor prejudice that was implanted in me through, you know, a lot of my, some of my family members, they're not good people. They're just not. And we all have to own that. Like, I'm like, sometimes you just gotta know, like Uncle John sucks. And he's just gonna suck until he dies. That's his legacy. So, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and so as a child, you overhear these conversations and these thoughts and these, these ideas. And so you fight if you're a good person to get better and to get out of them and to learn and grow. To say that 44 year old Kim knows, you know, more or less than like, 22 year old Kim or even 16 year old Kim. I hope I've grown in all this time. I, I hope I don't just keep aging and staying the same crappy human being. I'm hoping that with each year I'm getting better and more knowledgeable. And so I went all around the bin and back again just to say, yeah, I believe that people are trying to get better and that we should we should be open to that. And we should be understanding of that. And we should, that doesn't mean they get a cookie for doing the right thing, but it also, I'm not going to throw a sledgehammer at you for trying to do the right thing either. At the very least, at least the name isn't proliferated. Yeah. Anymore. And that's yeah. quite, quite literally. Yeah. Except Aunt Jamama, <laughs> you are dead to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> anything else you want to check in there? I have, I, have, I have one final question. Uh, looking through all of the serious questions, all of the, the deep questions, all of the questions that came from people's hearts, the last question is, if you're a white girl named Karen, should you change your name? Yes. Thank, thank you, Laura, for asking that question, because everyone on our chat group right now is hysterically crying laughing. <laughs> I, I think you should adopt a nickname, like um, K-Dog, or... 
I know a Karen whose nickname is K-Dog. So, yeah, yeah see? Or, yeah, or like Kiki, Kiki. or um, just, I kill just that. K. Every okay. kid begins with K, you know? Mm -hmm. so, oh, they oh, have K. So good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel we like that just, by ele it elevated the conversation here at the end. <laughs> yes. K3, <laughs> you know? They have a lot of their company, too. Yeah. Sugarfoot, anything. Um, oh, Robo Black. Better than yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Ryan uh, adds the era of Kiki must begin. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think I'm just going to do it. If your name is Karen, henceforth, I'm just calling you Kiki. Unless Kiki, you prove to that. me that you're a Karen. And then, Unless you're sorry. a Karen, yeah. Unless you're an actual Karen. But if you're a your person named Karen and you're not a Karen, you, according, it has been signed, sealed, and delivered by this committee, and it's been approved by the president of Fabulosity, Ryan LaSala, that you are now Kiki. Kiki, henceforth. <laughs> um, well, that, okay, I'm just gonna say, I, everyone who joined, thank you guys so much, but you know, honestly, more importantly, Kim, Gilly, I know you guys are very busy. There's a million things going on. I, this was, not only was it informative, but it was a blast, which I knew it would be. I can't tell you how much I love you both. Thank you guys so much for doing Thank this. Thank you. Oh, Adam, did you tell them at the beginning of this that you were that you were in a three-way marriage with me and Gilly? Uh, I didn't, I didn't want to share that out loud, but. Was that supposed to be? Now it's public. Now it's public, and I guess it's out there in the world. We're okay. like, that's okay. I think, unfortunately, um, the number of people in our chat and the number of people uh, in our group have fallen so hard in love with you that we're probably going to stage a coup. So <laughs> get those divorce, divorce yeah. papers ready. I had a good run. <laughs> Sorry, Adam. You're dead to us. We're taking over. I owe you both lunch anyway. I think you, I think you bought my last lunch. So I owe you guys lunch anyway. But seriously. <laughs> Did we buy him lunch? I don't yeah. remember. Oh, at the salad place. Yeah, yes. exactly. So if you guys didn't know that Adam is our bae, now we just proved it because we ate salads. <laughs> yes, if, if we're eating cheese, it's because we really love someone. Um, but also you guys should, if you're not already listening to the Pro Book Nerds podcast, you should do it because they're awesome. Oh, yes, Thank guys. you. I can't believe There's so many good episodes you could go back and listen to. Sometimes I just listen to Pro Book Nerds episodes of ones that I haven't heard before, like on the long car drive. I'm like, oh, put this one on. Yeah. Uh, I guess we could stick around if you guys want to keep complimenting us. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, seriously, okay. Th I will we'll let everyone hop off. I can see him leaving now. Guys, thank you so, so much. I love you guys, and we will all talk soon. Thank yes. you for coming. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.